Thanks for joining the podcast with Tamara Gondor. Conversations with everyday innovators that reject status quo, think differently, and make a positive difference in their world. Listen in so you can ignite innovation, influence others, and make an impact too. And now your host, CrossFit addict, knee-high sock lover, and according to her kids, average cook, Tamara Gondor. Hey, hey, everyone. Your host, Tamara here, in a really good mood today. I gotta say, I'm often in a good mood, but today I'm really feeling the vibes. Maybe it's because when I'm recording this, it's kind of middle of day Thursday and the weekend's coming. I don't know, but I'm feeling it. I hope you are too. We had incredible interviews this week with everyday innovators, and I'm really looking forward to pulling out the the big aha that I got out of each of them. Now, I have to say, uh, it was actually a challenge for me this week to pull out my one big aha, the thing I wanted to share with you today, because there was so much in each of these interviews, and they were each so different. So I cannot wait to dig into them. And just, I think, and I'm hoping that digging into it and pulling out that aha will help you find that nugget of inspiration and that place where you can take action. And if something piques your interest, go back and listen to it. If you did listen to that interview already, I put links back to all the different interviews that I'm talking about in this episode. And it's this week. So if you're on one of the players, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is, just scroll back and look for it. It's right there. Now, before I dig in, as you know, I like to share one quick story with you. An experience, an insight, and a, a level of expertise. And today, I just want to share with you a pattern that I'm seeing. And I think it might give you as well some insight into how to get buy-in for your ideas. I think there's two sides to the innovation coin. And side one is all about igniting innovation, being more innovative, finding those opportunities, thinking differently about what's right in front of you, solving your sticky challenges, having a stronger value voice, all of that. But the other side, which I think is as important but not talked about, talked about as much is getting buy-in for your ideas. Once you have that idea, now you need to get others on board in order to implement it. And whether that's a new product in the market, an internal process, just approval to go do some research, uh, you know, launching a business, whatever it is, we need buy-in. We need other people to move it forward. And one of the things I've been hearing a lot of lately is about legacy thinkers. You know the ones. They're the ones that compare everything you talk about to what they did 10 years ago. They tend to say no to just about everything. They tend to resist any effort to make change of any kind. They tend to not only poke holes, but give you 10 different experiences that didn't work that relate to yours. Legacy thinkers. And a lot of us, particularly in the workforce, are surrounded by them. However, we need them to move ideas forward, don't we? They're oftentimes the leadership. They're oftentimes the stakeholders. They're oftentimes the people that we need to see the brilliance in our ideas. And here we are, we're presenting new ideas and they're stuck in old ones or old ways of doing things. I've had no fewer than four conversations this week with different people asking me to give them some tools for dealing with legacy thinkers. And I have a whole toolbox of them. In fact, if you have access to our online innovation, the Everyday Innovators Toolbox, 
you know, because there's a whole slew of them around how to communicate to get buy-in. So I want to share one nugget in this podcast around communicating with these legacy thinkers that I think is going to open up your mind and perhaps create more meaningful connections with them. And those connections, of course, lead to buy-in and moving forward. Here's the thing I want you to consider. I want you to consider having more empathy for the legacy thinkers. Now, I know it's like talking to a big, immovable brick wall that is in your way for no reason. I get it. But here's the thing I want you to consider. Legacy thinkers are often coming from a place of fear. They have a fear of being irrelevant. Because here's the thing. People don't fear change. So they're not fearing the change you are putting forward. What they're actually fearing is being changed. So when you come forward, your wildly innovative ideas, your new solutions, your complete pivots, what oftentimes you're doing accidentally is telling that legacy thinker on the other side of the table that they are irrelevant, how they do things, who they are, what they know, their expertise is irrelevant. They already feel like they're on thin ice and your new ideas, your push to change is putting new cracks in that ice. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should lessen your idea, water it down, make it less innovative and more incremental just to appease them. Not in any way whatsoever. What I am saying is that if you come to them from a place of empathy for where they're coming from, you'll go a lot further together. You'll get more buy-in. You'll find them more receptive to your new ideas. Just know, hey, this person is struggling with a fear of being irrelevant. And believe me, there's a lot of legacy thinkers in the workforce right now. There's a lot of us who have not left the workforce that probably should have. There's a lot of people who just are stuck in their ways because they had success 10 years ago and they're trying to relive that every single day. It's like, you know, it's like the people who live in their high school glory days for the next 30 years of their life. Same kind of thing. So the next time you are going to a conversation or a meeting with a legacy thinker, have some empathy. Know that their experience and who they are is on thin ice. A little bit of empathy will go a long way in getting buy-in for your ideas. It's interesting how that keeps popping up. I think we might need to do an entire segment on that. But for now, let's dig into the incredible everyday innovators that we had this week. Such a great week, as usual. So Monday, we had Juliana Whitney, who's in the cannabis industry, who's an instinctual inquisitive. And then on Tuesday, we had Jason Harris, who's an inquisitive imaginative, who's in the Air Force and is a pilot for a major commercial airline. Then on Wednesday, we had me, we all know what I do, in the innovation space, human-centered innovation. And then on Thursday, oh, and I'm an experiential risk taker. And then on Thursday, we had Thor Olaf Philogen, I hope I'm saying that right, Thor who's an inquisitive tweaker, and he is in the market research industry. So as you can tell, different innovators, different experiences. So I'm going to give you a little bit about each of them and kind of that little aha, actually sometimes big aha that really spoke to me in the hopes that you find that aha that helps you make those adjustments in your life too. This is going to help us all be stronger everyday innovators. Okay, so let's go Monday and work our way to today. Monday was Juliana Whitney, cannabis industry, instinctual, inquisitive. 
So instinctuals are all about connecting dots in more circuitous paths, like A to B to X over to Y back to A. And the thing about instinctuals that's interesting is they're very gut driven because of that circuitous path. In fact, oftentimes I know instinctuals because they throw out ideas really quickly, but then they can't really explain why they think it or why they know it to be true. They kind of have to back up into the rationale. They're really good. If you're an instinctual out there, you are really good at seeing patterns and insights that others miss. Often we get stuck in the information, the data, but you take it to a level up where the real value is into the patterns and the insights that come out of it. And the inquisitive side of Juliana is all about digging deep, challenging assumptions, pulling back the layers. For inquisitives, innovation is in the questions, not the answers. So if you're an inquisitive out there, you often will find yourself talking to yourself, asking questions like, huh? I wonder why this is in this aisle and not in this aisle in the grocery store. Huh, I wonder why Tamara said this about this guest. It's not just that you ask other people questions. It's how you talk to yourself as well. And you drive innovation that way. So the power in this combination, instinctual inquisitive, is Juliana brings connective, deep innovation to the table. So Juliana's story is a great one. And I love it when I get to interview people who are on the uh, younger side of me, let's say, and to hear kind of their stories of being really bold and really brazen and kind of going after what they want. And that that's kind of how I would describe Juliana after our 30 minutes on the on the interview. And go back and listen to her full story. But the short of it is, she was a receptionist um, at a company, and she would see all these people come in and hear all these different meetings from all these different experts talking about the cannabis industry. And she kept hearing the challenge they would have of opening up their shops. This is in, in Nevada. And she would hear this challenge over and over again in these different meetings that were happening in the office. So she's out there at the front desk thinking, wait a minute, I see a pattern. But more importantly, I see an opportunity. So she went, she created a business plan. And the next time someone came in with a problem of um, opening up the actual shop, she went in and said, here's my business plan. I can open up your shop for you. I want you to think about this for a second, because I feel like the way I'm saying it doesn't embody the boldness that it really takes. Just think for a moment. She's over here. She's a receptionist, which is a great and important job. But, but she took that. She heard these problem, saw this opportunity and left from receptionist to big time consultants and landed all these clients because she was bold enough to get up from the desk and go and position herself as an expert and ask for the business. I loved that story so much. It really spoke to me. It spoke to me because it's a story about going for it and going big. And sometimes I talk about it like going after the ants versus the elephant. And the ants are great because you have a colony of ants. There's so many of them, like they are so powerful and they all add up. But you're going after little ants one at a time versus going after the elephant. And Juliana went after the elephant. It was so impressive to me. And it just got me thinking about where in my life do I play big and where do I play small? And sometimes there's innovation in the small and sometimes there's innovation in the big. But oftentimes we avoid or ignore the big because it would require us, right, to really go for it. It would require us to face our fear of failure. It requires us to put ourselves out there. And so for me, the big aha of Juliana's insight was, huh, I feel like there are some places in my life, in my work, 
where maybe I'm not asking for the big project. Maybe I'm not going after it. Maybe I'm making excuses for why it didn't happen or why I shouldn't or, or all the things I need to do to set myself up to be ready to go after that big one. In fact, I got to say, now that I'm saying it out loud, that's it right there. How many of us justify not going after it because we're not ready? So instead, we spend all this time doing all the you know front end stuff to prepare ourselves. And I say that in quotes for the big opportunity that we never go after, right? We, we, we allow ourselves to get stuck in the weeds and find all these things to do in preparation for being ready, but we're never really ready. And Juliana wasn't ready. She built a business plan. She did her research. She's smart. Don't get me wrong, but she went for it when the time was right. So that's the big aha for me. And I'm going to keep going for it. And I'm going to keep going for it. And I'm going to listen for those problems, those opportunities, and I'm going to jump in. So thank you, Juliana, for that. And for all of us out there, hey, think about it. Think about where you are holding yourself back by preparing and where you can really go for it big the way Juliana did. You're listening to Conversations with Everyday Innovators on with Tamara Gondor podcast. Let's take a moment to thank our generous partners that make this possible. I want to take a moment to talk about my friends at Howdy Puppy. Dogs experience all the same problems as humans when it comes to joint pain, anxiety, digestion, and arthritis. A great way to help our four-legged family members with these ailments is with CBD-infused pet treats. Who doesn't like treats? As you longtime listeners know, my Mastiff, Zoe, is part of my family, but is getting older and has some anxiety issues when strangers come around. Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats has totally changed her disposition. And I know she feels like her young, energetic, confident self when she gets Howdy Puppy CBD Dog Treats. There are many CBD-infused dog treats on the market, but the truth is that many of them are overpriced and ineffective. We've looked at dozens of CBD dog treats and found most of them disappointing. Howdy Puppy is among the best brands in the CBD pet business. They deliver consistent quality, and their treats look and taste amazing, according to our dogs, of course. The company makes CBD dog treats in three flavors, steak, bacon, and cheese rolls. All of Howdy Puppy CBD treats contain natural ingredients, including high-quality full-spectrum hemp oil, all sourced and made in the USA. Full disclosure, I'm an investor in Howdy Puppy. But before I put my name on the company, I had an independent lab in Denver, Colorado, verify the quality and consistency of their treats. They are truly as advertised. Go online today at howdypuppy.com, link will also be in the show notes, and use promo code TAMARA, T-A-M-A-R-A, that's me, to get 20% off the absolute best CBD dog treats on the market. You will not be disappointed. Howdypuppy.com, promo code Tamara. Don't let them suffer needlessly. Let them enjoy life too. Okay, so Tuesday is Jason Harris. Now, Jason is a, a pilot for a major commercial airline and also a commander in the Air Force. He's an inquisitive imaginative. So that inquisitive is about pulling back the layers, really questioning why things are done the way they're done. I think the thing with inquisitives that's interesting, if you're an inquisitive out there, is um, a lot of us tend to play on the surface, and inquisitives really dig deep to find new places of innovation. And they're, and they're not afraid to 
question why things are done the way they're done, even if, especially actually when that's the way that it's always been done. The imaginative side is all about playing in the gaps. It's all about the novel. In fact, for imaginatives, oftentimes lesson is more. And in fact, with Jason, and this may speak to you if you're an imaginative out there, Jason was talking about how sometimes when people give him um, data briefs, he's like, oh my gosh, too much data. Stop. Tell me the three things I need to know and then let me fill in the rest. I don't need all that detail. That's an imaginative in action. Sometimes for imaginatives, less is more. The magic in that combination, inquisitive imaginative, is he brings deep, novel innovation to the table. So Jason was so full of great insights that even my production crew, who listens to all of them and usually gives me some kind of feedback, was like, gave me rave reviews about Jason before I even released it out into the public. But he said one thing that really knocked me off my chair. He was sharing the story about learning to fly this new plane. It's got new technology. It's totally different than the planes he's flown you know, for the last 10, 20 years. And he said he was practicing landing. And he said, okay, so I'm landing and I fumbled the landing. He said, it didn't go well. I had to kind of like, you know, I had, it, it was rocky. He said, but by the time I realized I'd failed it, or by the time I got to kind of process what had happened, we were already taking off up into the air, going for another turn to kind of try to land again. He said, oftentimes, even though our failure is behind us, we carry it forward. And he was talking about the plane as the example, said, by the time he kind of processed that that he had botched that landing a little bit, they were already worried about the takeoff, what was coming next. So he couldn't be stuck in the past and what happened four miles, five miles behind. He needed to worry about what was happening right now. He needed to worry about taking off in this new plane. And then he could come back around and deal with it with landing again. And we got into this whole conversation about how we carry our failures forward and how we carry this baggage around. And, you know, we look at things and we assess why things will or won't work, or we do or don't go after things, or we approve or disapprove an idea based on yesterday's failure, something that was five miles, as he says, behind us. And I did it the other day to myself. I heard it. And because of this conversation with Jason, Jason I understood it. So I want to share this with you. So here's what happened. So I have this, I, I engaged with this company that does new business. So they basically set up meetings for you with potentially interested prospects, clients, and it's AI driven. So it's actually all automated. Now I was fascinated by this from an innovation perspective of like AI doing my new business, or at least the front end and setting up meetings for me. This is interesting. So I wanted to try it partially from an experiment, experimentation perspective, but partially because I did want to figure out how to automate my cold outreach. We get a lot of warm outreach, but I think it's important to do cold and go after the people that you think you should be connected with as well. So I engaged this, this system and the system then sets up meetings on my calendar when people accept. Now it's a really cool technology and it had set up about 10 meetings in a two and a half week period. But in the beginning of those 10, I was getting a lot of no-shows. So of the 10 that were set up, six no-showed. And that was kind of out of the gate. I had a slew of them, kind of like three of them in a row. So in my head, I'm thinking, oh, this new system that I'm trying, this AI thing is a failure. It's not working. I'm not even sure if these people are real or nobody takes it seriously or they're signing up for a meeting. They don't know what they're signing up for. Like all these reasons in my head, right? But in my head, the last three meetings in particular had been a failure because they were all no-shows. So I went into my next possible meeting, the next one that was set on my calendar, 
carrying the baggage of those no-shows forward with me. So guess what? So I got on the session, right? I put my makeup on. I got my Zoom ready. I got my background ready. But I went in with the mindset of the failure from the past. I wasn't really prepared. I didn't have my usual screens open so I could show people how our IQE works, our assessment, how our toolbox works. Um, I have some videos I like to show people. I have some examples of heat maps of teams that have taken the IQE, like really great stuff. Normally, I have it all ready so that when we get on the call, if it's appropriate, I can show it to them. But this time, I carried my baggage forward. In fact, I was so ready for this person not to show up that one minute before our start time, I started the, hey, Bob, sorry we missed each other. I'm sure you got stuck in another meeting. It happens all the time. You know that email? Like I've already resigned myself to the fact that it's a failure. So that's, that's what I did. As I'm writing that email, the person shows up. Not only did they show up, no joke, they were 90% sold. They had done their research. They had gone to my website. In fact, they had taken the IQE um, and I hadn't realized it yet. They, they just wanted to know, how do we get started? And I'm over here like, wah, wah, three didn't work. So the fourth one's not going to work too. I couldn't believe it. I totally did it. And I think Jason's conversation about landing that plane and the failure of landing and having carry that forward and how we carry all this baggage forward with our failures for no reason, right? The circumstances have changed, the dynamics have changed. And in those failures, the ones we had, hopefully we learned along the way so we can adjust and grow and get more success in the future stuff that we do. He gave me, so Jason gave me some insight into the why I did that and why we self-sabotage. And here's the thing about this. I think we talk a lot about self-sabotage and what Jason, which is what I was doing in that moment, wasn't it? Like I was, I wasn't prepared. I was ready for it to fail. It was like I was putting bad negative mojo out into the universe. So, but that self-sabotage, and this is what Jason really made me realize. And I, I want you to think about this for yourself. What that really is, is us carrying our failure baggage forward. So if we want to stop self-sabotaging ourselves, which I think it's a lot of talk, but nobody really tells you how, I think we have to close the lid on those past failures. And what I mean by that is assess what worked and what didn't work, give it the time and energy it needs, and then figure out what we're going to do differently moving forward, but not carry the baggage forward. I'm so thankful for that insight and for that lesson. And frankly, that experience with, the, with carrying my own baggage forward. So I want you to think about where you don't speak up in a meeting because three meetings ago, someone shut you down, or maybe you didn't put that idea forward because the last one didn't go over so well, or maybe there was a, a kink in the process. How often do you carry your baggage forward? Okay. Wednesday, I did one because they am so uh, grateful for this, by the way. Many of you have said to me, Hey, Tamara, I'd love to hear you answer the questions you ask everybody else. Like, What's your win? What's something you're proud of? What's your challenge? So I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. Now, to give you context, I'm an experiential risk taker. So experiential is all about innovation in motion and action. It's about bringing 3D solutions to the table because we build it, we create it, we see things, we actually take action on it, and we learn and grow in real time. Experientials are all about getting things out of their head and into the real world. So if you're an experiential out there, you love to tinker. And I don't mean like you're crafty. I mean, you need to take ideas out of your head and start to build them to even see if there's an idea in there to, to innovate against them. The risk taker side of me 
So if you're a risk taker out there, it's all about leaping into the uncomfortable. While other people stay on the ledge, risk takers like you and me tend to leap. And actually, we innovate best in that leap because we innovate best when uncomfortable. I know risk takers, and maybe this is you. This is you out there. This definitely speaks to you. We actually put false pressure, deadlines, challenges on ourselves because in that pressure, we actually do really well. It's where our best innovation is found. So that combination of experimental risk taker, the magic in that is bringing tangible, bold innovation to the table. So I talked a little bit about the five daily habits. Go back and listen to that part. And the reason I brought up my five daily habits isn't because I have like the most glorious creative morning routine or because, you know, like I get up and meditate for two hours. It's actually the opposite of what I do. But I brought it up because it was born out of needing to figure out my biggest challenge, which is this staying motivated and hustling on the days where I don't feel like it. And I don't mean don't feel like it, like woe is me. I just mean because there are days where the world feels like too much, where I feel like there's so much out of my control. I feel overwhelmed with all the work I have to do, or I feel frustrated because things aren't moving as fast as I want them to, or frustrated because they're moving too fast and I'm trying to keep up. That's what's happening right now. So I created these five daily habits. They're each two, five minutes long. They're, they're super short. And those things help me stay on track. They keep me energized and focused. I'm going to give you a hint because one of them is not what you think it is. People are always surprised by this one. It's screaming and screaming really loud. But go back and listen to it. And I would encourage you to think about what are things that you can put into place systems that can help you stay motivated on your unmotivated days. And I don't mean motivating the like, hurrah, yay, I'm amazing. I just mean motivating the sense of like going after what you want in work and life, going after those goals. My five daily habits do that for me. And I found, found, by the way, that the days that I don't, the days that I forget or just don't take it seriously, the results aren't as good. So I'm going to stick to these for the rest of my life. Go back and listen to it. And I would, I really hope that you find five daily habits that work for you. And then tell me about them because I'd love to know we can learn from each other. Okay. Last but not least up is Thor Olaf Philogen. Because I hope I'm saying that right. He is an inquisitive tweaker. So that inquisitive members about questioning, challenging assumptions for him. Wow. He totally is doing things in a different way in the market research industry. He really questioned how things are done. Uh, and that's his inquisitive side coming out. Tweaker is all about optimizing. So tweakers are things aren't really final. It's not about success or failure. It's always about like, what's that one little iteration, adjustment, tweak I can make? For tweakers, you know that great innovation is just one little adjustment away. And I know you out there, this probably speaks to you because you're that person in a meeting who people are like, okay, done, done. And you're over there. But if we just made it blue instead of red, or if we just turned it two degrees this way, we might get a different result, right? That's what's going on in your brain. So the magic in that combination of inquisitive tweaker is it brings deep, optimized innovation to the table. So like all of these, Thor talked about a lot of different things. The thing that really spoke to me was his conversation around radical transparency. He talked about it particularly in the hiring. So they do their hiring a little bit different. One of the things he likes to do is when he's interviewing new candidates, tell them not all the just the great things about his company, but also here are the things that aren't working right now. Here's what we're struggling with. Here's where we might be a little bit broken. Here are the things that we're trying to fix, but it's not going well. He said he likes to tell people up front. Now, 
he's got other great examples of radical transparency in his leadership as well and how it drives innovation. And it got me thinking about how often we sugarcoat things. Maybe it's to save face. Maybe it's to not look like a failure. Maybe it's just to put a positive spin on things. But his radical transparency really got me thinking because I'm, I'm an overly optimistic person. You could put me in the worst of the worst situation. And my mindset goes to like, what can we make good out of this? What is working here? Like, where's the opportunity? And that's, that's not bad. So if you're out there, don't change that. I'm not saying be negative. But I think there's an opportunity to be a realist so that we can actually find the real opportunities in it. And I think when we sugarcoat things, right, we miss that opportunity actually to drive meaningful innovation because we're sugarcoating the truth. We're sugarcoating what really needs to be said or the real lens on the situation. And I caught myself a few times this week doing that. And I especially, I think, sometimes do it with my kids, right? Because I'm eager to find the positive, to find the opportunity. And in fact, just the other day, I was talking with my 13-year-old about something. And I thought, I just had Thor's interview, and I thought, I'm going to take a different approach here. So Ari was asking me a question. And I, he was asking me a question about the podcast. And I said, normally I'd be like, oh, all these things are great. Here's what's amazing. We're working on this, but it's an opportunity to improve. Blah, blah. You get the point. Instead, I said, all right, well, here are three things that I'm really frustrated by that I can't figure out how to fix. And here are three things that are working really, really well. Some of them I actually found kind of surprising. So I tell him these things, no emotion in it, just here's three things that are broken. Here's three things that are working. And he pauses and he goes, oh, that's really helpful to know. I kind of get how it all works together now. So how are we going to move forward? No joke. He said, I get how it all works together now. So I think Thor's conversation about radical transparency is a really important one to go back and listen to. He also talks about how not only does it help you find innovation, set expectations, but also it builds trust. And trust is the foundation of all of it, isn't it? It's a foundation of good collaboration. It's a foundation of innovation. Trust is a foundation of connection. I think all too often, especially for those of us who always come from that opportunity mindset, it's very easy to want to sugarcoat things when they don't need to be sugarcoated. And people don't want to hear that, right? We know that. We all have BS meters. We know that when we're sitting down to dinner with a friend and they are talking about like, you know, in their relationships, all the things that, well, okay, it's, he does this, but this, right? We know we have that BS meter. We all do. This week, I started getting into the habit of radical transparency. And it's not that I ever lied. It's just more amount of like, do I sometimes sugarcoat things to try to put a positive spin on it? And I definitely do. So this week I practiced stopping just like I did with my son. And it was really interesting to see the results. I think the trust factor went up because you're being vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable to admit when you don't understand something or when it doesn't work. The connection went up, the collaboration went up, the innovation went up, all of it. So I would encourage you to think about radical transparency in your work in life and where perhaps you are sugarcoating things to your detriment and where a little radical transparency would actually take you further. Okay. So great to be with you this week. Can't wait for next week. We have another incredible lineup for you. And Hey, by the way, if you're an everyday innovator out there, entrepreneur, entrepreneur, small business owner, leader of a company, emerging leader, mom, dad, and you're out there, you're actually doing it, right? And you want to come on and talk about what you're proud of and an innovative story where you thought differently and the challenges you face, go to our website, fill out the nomination form. 
We would love to have you. Tamara out. Congratulations. By listening to this podcast, you took another step towards becoming an everyday innovator. To leap forward, visit www.gotolaunchstreet.com and take the Innovation Quotient Edge Assessment to discover your unique everyday innovator style and access the Everyday Innovator Digital Magazine for the top tools, insights, and inspiration at your fingertips 24-7. Tomorrow, we'll be back with another Everyday Innovator conversation soon. In the meantime, if you got a nugget of value out of this podcast, let Tamara know by leaving a five-star review and comment. Your review equals more guests, more listens, bigger impact. Until next time.